a joy to be with you this morning. I always appreciate the opportunity to come and uh, preach the Word of God. Of course, uh, I am, as Brother Aaron said, uh, your pastor's wife is my first cousin, but your pastor was my youth pastor. And so he's my cousin by marriage, but he was my youth pastor. My wife and I uh, were in his youth department. And so as old as I am, that'll tell you how old he is. Amen. And I can say that because he's not here. Uh, And I know he looks a lot younger probably at this point even than I do. Uh, He doesn't have any gray hair hardly, and he has all his hair. And so, uh, but anyway, he was my youth pastor, and uh, we love he and your wife, and uh, just thank the Lord for their influence in our life. John chapter number 14, if you find it and you're able, if you stand out of respect for the Word of God, John chapter number 14, we'll start reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. Lord, what a blessing it's already been just to be here and hear your word taught during Sunday school. Uh, God, to hear praises sang to your name, and Lord, just to be able to sing praises to your name, God, we thank you for all that's already taken place. Now, God, as we look at your word and focus on it, which is the matter at hand, God, I pray you'd empty me of myself, fill me with your power. Lord, I don't want to be seen or heard this morning. God, I desire you to be seen and heard through me, Lord. I pray that you would just uh, use me as a tool in your hand, a mouthpiece to deliver your message. God, I just pray that you would speak to each and every person that's assembled here, Lord. Uh, I have no idea what their needs are. Uh, And God, if I knew every one of them, I don't have any ability in myself to meet any of them. But God, your word is quick and powerful. It's not only able to meet every need. God, your will is that it would meet every need. And God, what determines whether or not our needs are met by your word is not your word or not your working. It's our receptiveness, our yielding to the Holy Spirit of God. So Lord, I pray this morning that we would have receptive ears and hearts, that we would hear your word and heed it. And God, that we would uh, let it sink into our hearts and minds, and God, that we would have obedient hands and feet. We would take it and do with it what you'd have us to do, God, and apply it to our lives and leave here different than we came, changed by your word. Lord, I pray if there's one here that's lost, God, that today would be the day they trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, for maybe that Christian that knows you as Savior, but God is far from you, I pray, God, that they would get right today as well. Lord, I pray the conviction of the Holy Spirit would rest on the hearts and minds of those where conviction is necessary. God, I pray that you'd speak to each and every one of us. And Lord, I do pray that you would just uh, work in this service as only you can. God, I pray that you bind Satan from this place. Again, use your word, Lord, to draw us closer to you. Make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I do pray that you would work this morning and do a work in our hearts and lives. We'll give the honor, glory, and praise for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. The title of the message this morning is No Other Way. No Other Way. And uh, we live in a day and time where... Uh, we hear anything but this. And sadly, I wish it wasn't true, but sadly, even in so-called Christian circles, and uh, we would use the term maybe of Christendom, which includes anything that would claim to be Christian. Uh, You and I know, if you know the Word of God, there's a lot of things that claim to be Christian that aren't Christian at all. 
But everything that would claim to be Christian in those circles this morning, uh, they would uh, offer many, many options and many, many ways of how one could know they could go to heaven. They would offer many options of uh, how you can live and ways to live. And uh, they would want to give the idea that really it's, it's more up to you and it, it matters what you think and truth is relative and all that sort of thing. We hear all those things today. And that's the world that we live in. And unfortunately, according to Scripture, we know very well that that's not true. And it's sad that that's what people think, but that is not what the Bible teaches. And Jesus here makes very clear the same thing. You know, in our text, he starts off in verse number one and says, Let not your heart be troubled. This was a time for he and his disciples that was a troubling time. Uh, They were having the Last Supper, and they were there in the upper room, and as he was talking to them, and he was making clear to them that he was going to go and be crucified. And of course, that's not what they wanted to hear. And you have to remember that uh, by history and by what they would have been taught and by their misinterpretation of the Old Testament, the Jews as a whole, we can't speak for just his disciples, but we know many of them were in this boat as well. The The Jews as a whole were looking for a political messiah. They expected the Messiah to come and overthrow Rome, set up his government, rule and reign, and that Israel would be powerful once again. And so here Jesus is, who they know is the Messiah. They have no doubts he's the Son of God. They've said as much to him. Peter, of course, voiced the confession. The disciples agreed with him, the twelve did, other than Judas, who we know Jesus called a devil. But the other eleven knew he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now here he is explaining to them, my time has come and I'm going to die. And you can imagine in their minds, this didn't sit well. And they're thinking, that's not what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to set up your kingdom. You're supposed to overthrow the Roman government. You're supposed to bring Israel back to power and prominence. They were very troubled. Uh, They were very uh, downhearted. They were very burdened, if you will. And Jesus knew that. And that's why he said to them, let not your heart be troubled. He knew they had a lot that was troubling them. Right before this, in the book of John, we find recorded him talking to Peter about Peter denying him. And so it was not a lighthearted situation when he brings this part of the book in John chapter number 14. And so he tells them to not let their heart be troubled. But you know, with what was going on in their life, that was easier said than done. He knew that as they were human. You know, there's a lot going on in our world right now that would cause our hearts to be troubled if we would let it. We turn the news on, and again, it's been a long time now. There's hardly anything of uh, positivity or anything good on the news. It's all negative, but right now there's really some major things going on. We know what's going on in the Middle East with Israel, and of course they're God's chosen people. Uh, And the Bible makes very clear uh, that God did not throw them away. No one has replaced them. They're still his chosen people. And so God, of course, has promises there to them and them alone. But we know of the war going on there. And so, of course, that very much leads us up to what the Bible talks about with the end times and the wars and rumors of wars. Uh, We look around at our country and the condition that it's in. And the political state of the United States of America is just a mess. We know that. And the politicians are a mess and that's on both sides of the aisle we'd do way better if we just threw them all out and started over but anyhow we know all those things and so understanding where we are today and understanding what's going on it would be easy for you and I to let our heart be troubled and so Jesus knew where they were at and he knew what would bring them comfort and what brings comfort is not me doing whatever I want and thinking however I want that doesn't bring comfort it would, we would think that it would, and if someone would ask us what we would want in life, that's probably what we would say. 
I want to make my own decisions and do my own thing. It always cracked me up. I was a youth pastor for uh, several years before I went into being a pastor, and God called me to pastor a church, and I was a youth pastor there at our home church at Lighthouse Baptist Church, and, uh, and we had it not as many times, but I've heard through the years lots of teenagers say things like, man, I can't wait to get out of my parents' house and get out from under the rules and be able to do whatever I want. I'm joining the military. And I thought, man, you don't have any clue what you're talking about. You're going to have more rules than you've ever had if you go join the military. But the idea there, and we think that way, and we want to do our own thing and be our own person, but there's really no security and no comfort in that. What brings security and comfort are absolutes. Absolutes bring security and comfort. The greatest way to bring security to your children is to have discipline in your home. That brings security to them. Now, that's not what they would tell you. They want to do whatever they want, but there's no security in that. Security comes in stability. Security comes in discipline. And so security comes in absolutes. And Jesus here, that's what he's talking about. He makes very clear what he's doing and where he's going. He's going to prepare a place for them in verse number two. Aren't you glad for that if you know him as your Savior, that he's gone to prepare a place for us? I'm grateful uh, that one day soon we will be with him. Amen. Even so come Lord Jesus. We don't know the day or the hour. No man does. But you look at what's going on in the world and it can't be long. And he says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So these are great comforting things. And that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to bring them comfort, not in uh, their circumstances, but in spite of their circumstances. And the Bible will always do that for us as we understand what he's saying here this morning. But then he goes and he says, And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. And Thomas speaks up. Now, this is a little different because usually Peter's the one that would speak up. But Thomas speaks up at this point. And again, while Thomas is one we would look at and say, oh, doubting Thomas and all this sort of thing. uh, If we're honest this morning, we have a lot in common with him. We have a lot in common with him. Just like we have a lot in common with Peter sticking his foot in his mouth. And so, but Thomas is the one that speaks here. God does not record for us in Scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that any of them disagreed with Thomas. And if you've ever been around a group of people, uh, when one claims that they don't know something, if all the rest feel like they know it, they speak up. So I dare say that they were right in the boat Thomas was in, or one of them would have said, whatever, we know exactly what he's talking about. They did not. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we, he was speaking for the group, know not whither thou goest, And how can we know the way? He said, how can we know? We don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. Now, you and I read the Scripture, and we go, man, how dense were they? But we have the Scripture. We have the completed, infallible, inerrant, perfect, preserved Word of God for English-speaking people in this King James Bible. We hold it this morning. So it's easy for us to read this and go, why were they so dense? Why didn't they get it? If we were where they were, we probably wouldn't have gotten it either. And if we'd be honest this morning, there's a lot of things in our life that I'm sure the Lord Jesus looks at us and says, why are they so dense? Why don't they get it? But Thomas says, we don't know where you're going, and we don't know the way. And then one of the very, very familiar, and we could even maybe use the word famous verses in Scripture, when Jesus says to him, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What Jesus was doing was in a time of turmoil and in a time of turbulence in their life, in a time when things were uncertain, in a time when things were unsettled, in a time when things seemed to be topsy-turvy, Jesus was giving them uh, some solid ground. He was giving them something to cling to. He was giving them something to hold to. And that something was himself. 
It was said in Sunday school this morning in the book of uh, Malachi, the Bible says uh, I, that God doesn't change and he does not. Jesus Christ, the Bible says about him, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. There's great comfort in something that's stable like that, something that doesn't move. There's only one way to get to heaven. There's only one way to live. There's no other way. As we look at the text this morning, we're going to look at verse 6 predominantly and take the message from it this morning. So first of all, this morning, we see that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. In Acts chapter number 4, in Acts chapter number 4, Jesus is the way. In Acts chapter number 4 this morning, in verse number 12, He's the way. He's the way of salvation, no doubt about it. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It doesn't matter this morning what anyone says about how to get to heaven. It doesn't matter what any group or so-called church or so-called organization says about salvation. It doesn't matter what you or I think about it. It doesn't matter what anyone's opinion about it is. The reality is this, there's only one way to get there, and that's Jesus Christ. There's no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. He is the only way. He is the only way. There's no other way to get to salvation. There's no other way to get to heaven but through the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I heard in a message one time, Curtis Hudson, the old preacher, and he was talking about when he first got saved before he was in the ministry, he worked in the postal department. He was a postal worker, and he was talking to someone while he was at work, and they said, well, the way I see it, uh, getting to heaven is like a big wagon wheel. And heaven is the spoke in the middle, and there's a whole lot of different ways to get there. And when the man finished talking, Brother Curtis Hudson said to him, there's just one problem. Heaven's not the spoke of a wagon wheel, and there's not more than one way to get there. And that's very true, and there's only one way to get to heaven. Jesus is the road or the path. That's what he's saying there when he says, I'm the way. There's no other way to get there. He calls himself the door in John chapter number 10. He is the only way to get to heaven. And it doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what society says. And in fact, today, what we hear so often, especially from our culture, but God help us even from some so-called Christian circles, is that as long as you love God and you're sincere, it'll all work out. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus is the only way. And he tells us in the book of Romans specifically how we can know we're going to heaven. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 says, As it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. We're all sinners. Every one of us in the room this morning are sinners. Every person ever born of woman, except for the Lord Jesus Christ, has been born a sinner. Because we were born with a sin nature. Due to the bloodline that runs through us and the bloodline of our Father. And our blood type comes from our Father. And that's why the Bible says in Romans 5.12, For by his by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. We're all sinners. Because we're sinners, we're separated from God. Romans 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You and I cannot get to God the way we are. It's not possible. We can't get to God on our own. We can't be good enough. We can't please Him enough. We can't do enough good works. We can't give enough in the offering. We can't be faithful enough to church. We can't give enough to the poor. We can't be good enough people. It's not possible because our sin separates us from God. God is holy and righteous, and He can't be in the presence of sin. And you and I as sinners, therefore, as we sit in our sin, could not be in the presence of God. We have a sin problem. We're separated from Him. 
The Bible goes on to tell us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. The payment for my sin and your sin is that we would die and be separated from God forever. That word death in Romans chapter number 6 and verse 23 doesn't just refer to physical death, but it also refers to the spiritual death or the second death, meaning eternal separation from God in a place the Bible calls hell. It's often said in our day and time that I don't believe a loving God would ever send anyone to hell. Neither do I, and he never has. But there's a whole lot of people in hell. God didn't send them there. Listen, his desire is not that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, according to the book of Peter. We know that this morning, but our sin has a price on it, and that's what we deserve. And as a human being, that's the only thing we deserve, is to die and be separated from God forever. The good news of the gospel we find in Romans chapter 5, and verse 8. The Bible says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us even though we were sinners. He paid our sin debt. He paid a debt he didn't owe. And it was a debt that we couldn't pay, but we did owe. And he paid it for us so we wouldn't have to die and go to hell. The second half of Romans 6.23 says this, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if we will just simply repent of our sin, the book of Acts tells us we have to have repentance towards God and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. If we repent of our sin, acknowledging that I'm a sinner and that I can't get to heaven the way I am and I need help, I need God to make me what I need to be to get me to heaven. I need God to save me. That's repentance. As I repent of my sin and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 says this in verse number 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confessions made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. And then verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friend, if you're in here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you came in this morning thinking you'd go to heaven because of your good works. Maybe you came in this morning trusting your church attendance to get you to heaven. Maybe you came in this morning uh, trusting the fact that your family lineage and history was Christian in some nature to get you there. But the reality this morning is there's no other way but the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Him and Him alone, don't leave this place without doing that today. Trust Him as your Savior. He's the only way of salvation. He's the only way of salvation. He's not only the only way of salvation, He's the only way of a life that pleases God. He's the only way of a life that pleases God. If we want to live in a way, once we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, if you want to live in a way that pleases the Lord, you have to live His way. It's not about each of us living our own way and it being our own life. The truth is the Bible says once you're saved, you're bought with a price. We're grateful for salvation. We're grateful for the blood of Christ. Uh, and we want to think about that, but often we don't like the idea. All through the New Testament, when the Bible refers to those that are believers as servants, the word used is really the word bond servant, and it's the idea of a slave, someone who's been sold or bought. You say, well, I don't like that. Well, that's what the Bible says we are, spiritually speaking. We were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and that's the only reason we can go to heaven. But because of that, we belong to him. We are his. And our life to glorify God and to please the Lord has to be the way he wants us to live. And we find that, of course, in his word. Jesus is the way. Number two this morning, he's not just the way, although there's great comfort in that. There's great comfort in knowing I don't need to figure out how to get to heaven. I don't have to come up with some plan. Uh, I don't have to solve the puzzle. I don't have to answer the riddle. No, God's been very clear. He's the only way. There's no other way of salvation. But not only is he the way, Number two this morning, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth, and he said that. 
Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth. What he was saying is, I am the way, I am the truth. Go to John 17 with me, just a couple pages over. He is the truth. He is the truth. John 17, verse 17, the Bible says this, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. The word of God is truth. What does the Bible call Jesus Christ in John chapter number 1? The word. He is the truth. He's the living, breathing Word of God, the all-eternal, all-existent, all-powerful God, but He's the Word of God. The Word of God that you and I hold in our hands is simply the Word that He gave through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He is truth. He is truth. He is supreme truth. One of the sad things in our culture and our society is so many things that are absolutely, undeniably fact. Our entire culture and world are now saying, well, those aren't true. I'm not talking about opinion. I'm not talking about which is better, peanut butter or chocolate. By the way, they're good together, amen? You don't have to pick one. I'm not talking about things that we would have opinions about. Which kind of meat is better, beef or chicken? They're both good, amen? I'm not talking about those things. I'm not talking about opinions. I'm talking about things that are undeniable. We live in a world that's so messed up on this area of truth and so concerned about everyone having their truth, which is totally against the Word of God, by the way. The only final truth is this book right here. It is absolute truth. It is undeniable. And God has made clear what real truth is. But we're talking about undeniable things this morning, like the fact that God created male and female. No, there's hundreds of genders. How ridiculous. There's no truth to that. But yet our culture and our society has said, no, it's totally up to you and how you identify. That's foolishness. And now they're pushing hard to make it to where even children uh, are not on their birth certificates going to be identified one way or the other. Because after all, they need to make that decision. Good luck with that. If you let a kid make the decision what they are, they'll all end up animals. You know, my kids when they were little all wanted to play like they were dogs or they were lions or they were whatever. Why? Because they're kids. They don't know what they're talking about. But when they're born, they're given a gender by God. God wasn't confused. He didn't mess up. It wasn't a mistake. Male and female created he them. And in his image, by the way, not in that we look like him, but in that there's three parts to us like there is him. But male and female both created the image of God. Supreme truth. But our culture rejects that totally. The more basic truth they can reject the more they can get rid of God. You see, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't desire to get rid of God because you understand He is the source of all truth. But for those that don't know Him, His absolute truth is not only convicting, but it's bothersome because it tells them they're wrong. There's a reason Jesus said He came not with peace but a sword. You say, what did He mean by that? Well, the very fact that He came and said, you can't get to heaven but through me, that's offensive. You understand it's offensive to tell somebody they're not good enough no matter the context. But friend, when it comes to heaven and hell, we're not good enough to get to heaven. Doesn't matter how wonderful you think you are, you're not good enough to get there and neither am I. And so Jesus said, I came not with peace but a sword, knowing and understanding that the truth and the absolute truth would be divisive. It doesn't change that it's fact. It doesn't change that it's fact. The bumper stickers, and I'm not upset with them, and I didn't see any coming in, but uh, I understand the, the thinking. But they have the bumper stickers that say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I understand the sentiment there, but can I just tell you, you don't have to believe it for it to be settled. 
It's truth whether you believe it or not. And it doesn't matter if someone would say to you, well, I don't believe the Bible. That doesn't make it any less true. Or they say, well, I don't believe there's only one way to heaven. That doesn't make it any less true. And there's great comfort and great security in knowing I don't have to wonder about truth. It's given to me right here. And the Bible says all that pertains to life and godliness, everything we need to live in this life, everything we need to know is right here. So there's a lot of things it doesn't say that I want to know, but everything we need to know is right here. If we need to know, God told us. If we don't need to know, he didn't. You know, that's how it is with, if you're a parent with your children, you don't tell them everything. You tell them what they need to know. And a lot of times, they don't need to know much. And so it comes right down to the moment of doing something. They have no idea what's going on because they don't need to know. I know I've, my kids have gotten questions from friends and things sometimes about, well, hey, what's going on? And they're like, I have no idea. He doesn't tell me that stuff. They don't need to know. What they need to know, I tell them. And God's no different with us. Supreme truth, not only is it supreme truth, it's not disputable. It can't be argued with. You say, well, people argue with it all the time. Yes, but they can't prove any of it untrue. They can't prove any of it untrue. Can I tell you that true proven science goes hand in hand with this book? Oh, no, there's a lot of things that are scientific that disagree with the Bible, but they can't be proven. They can't prove to you that evolution's a fact because it's not. It never happened. If evolution happened, where are the missing forms? Where are the parts in between the amoeba and the man? Well, you know, they've drawn pictures. I'm not talking about pictures. Where's the evidence? There's no evidence because it didn't happen. But proven science goes hand in hand with the Word of God. Proven history goes hand in hand with the Word of God. You understand the things the Bible talks about in a historical fashion uh, have all been proven to be true. They've archaeologically found proof of the, uh, the countries and the kingdoms and the peoples the Bible talks about. They've found all of them. Why? Because it's true. It's accurate. You understand that every culture in the world, no matter their language, no matter where they come from, no matter their religion as a culture, they all have some account of a worldwide flood. Why? Because it happened. It's true. We need to understand that. The Bible is supreme truth. It's not disputable. Jesus said, I am the truth. He was giving them comfort, and there's great comfort in knowing that he's the only way. I don't have to figure it out. There's great comfort in knowing that he is the truth. I don't have to know what is right or wrong. I just have to compare it to what he said. And if you would just take everything you heard and bring it under the obedience of this book right here, you'd find out real fast if it's true or not. You'd find out real fast if it's true or not because he's the truth. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Number three, Jesus is the life. Jesus is the life. Go back to John chapter 3 with me this morning. John chapter number 3 with me. Jesus is the life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the life. John chapter number 3 and verse 16. Probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He is the life. He is the life. First of all, he's the source of life. He's the source of life. When he created Adam in the garden, the Bible says he formed him out of the dust of the ground, and then he breathed life into his nostrils, the Bible talks about. God gave him life. He is the source of life. 
All life on earth, animal, human, it doesn't matter. Everything that's alive is alive because of him. He's the source of it all. He's the creator of the entire universe. And as he was talking to them about the things they didn't like, he was trying to give them comfort. The things they didn't like were that he would be crucified. The things they didn't like were that one would deny him. The things they didn't like were all these things he was talking about. And he's trying to give them some comfort and trying to give them some peace. And he told them he was the way and he told them he was the truth. But he makes very clear to them, I'm the creator God. And everything I say is true, and you can trust everything I say and do. He's the source of all life. He's the source of all life. Not only is he the source of all life physically, he's the only source of life spiritually. He's the only source of life spiritually. We've already talked about that. I won't re-preach that point. He's the only way of salvation. No one has salvation any other way. I've heard many say in my life, well, God and I have an agreement. We have an understanding. The only understanding you'll ever have with Almighty God is that you agree with what He says. That's the only understanding and agreement He'll ever make with anybody. There's no understanding with God that, hey, you have some other way. No, there is no other way. He's the only way. He's the source of life. No question about it. Spiritually speaking and physically. By the way, He's the sustainer of life. He's the sustainer of life. Life and death are in the hands of God. It's up to Him. He's the one that determines how long we live. He's the one that determines. The Bible says to point it unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. It's up to God to decide that. And yes, we live in a day and time where God has allowed us to have a lot of medical advances and scientific advances and technological advances, and people are thinking now, and we're going to live longer and longer and longer, and of course, their goal, if they would ever say it, would be that somehow we could live and maybe cheat death and not die at all. It'll never happen, because life and death is in the hands of God. Life and death is in the hands of God. What advances we have, God has allowed. Make no mistake, he won't allow it to go farther than he wants it to. You say, how do you know that? Well, look at the Tower of Babel. They had one language, one mind. They were totally unified. They were building this tower unto heaven, this temple to worship the heavens. They thought they could be greater than God. And God said, there's nothing they won't be able to accomplish at this point. So what did God do? He confounded their languages and scattered them all over earth. He changed their languages and then scattered them all over the earth. Why? Because he wasn't going to let them go further than he wanted them to go. Make no mistake, that's no different today. God will not allow us to have any kind of advances medically, technologically, or scientifically that he doesn't want us to have. He's the sustainer of life physically, but he's also the sustainer of life spiritually. If you're saved in here this morning, the only thing that keeps you going spiritually is Jesus Christ. He's the source of life. He's the sustainer of life. He's what we need. His word and his truth going down his path the way he is, living life his way, it sustains us through his power. Listen, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. That's what Paul said. That's what Paul said. He said, in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. That's after uh, the famous passage in Romans 7 that uh, I won't quote because it's very much uh, twisted in the way it's worded, but when Paul makes clear the things I should do, I often don't. And the things I shouldn't do, I often do. A wretched man that I am. Paul understood he was a sinner, and yet nonetheless he said, in me dwelleth no good thing, but yet his flesh, because within him was the Spirit of God. If you're saved in here this morning, you have within you the Spirit of God, and he's the one that keeps you going in this life. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Number four this morning. Number four this morning. We see it if you go back there to John chapter 14. 
in verse number 6, Jesus makes very clear that while he is all of these things in a positive way, and praise the Lord for it, that due to who he is, being the way, the truth, and the life, he's also the roadblock between us and God. You see what he mean? Look what he says in verse 6. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said, not only am I the way, not only am I the truth, not only am I the life, but you cannot get to God except through me. There's no other way. There's no access to Him except through me. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. The book of 1 Timothy chapter number 2 this morning. While He is the roadblock between us and God, the blessing of it is if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is no roadblock. He is the door. He's the door. He's the way to God. 1 Timothy chapter number 2 and verse 5, the Bible says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one mediator between God and men. There's only one that you and I have to go through to get to God, both for salvation and for access once we're saved. One of the greatest blessings of knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior is the fact that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and we can come to the throne of God anytime and we can bring our requests and bring our petitions and speak to our Heavenly Father, but it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only way that can happen because He's the only mediator. We don't have to go through a man. I understand one of the largest uh, religious denominations or organizations in the world says you have to go through a priest. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the high priest. He serves that position. He's the only mediator between God and man. If you know Him as your Savior, that gives you access. But if you don't, it is a roadblock. You can't get to God any other way. You can't get to God any other way. And can I tell you, from the beginning of human history, human beings have been trying to find a different way. It started with Cain. It started with Cain. Why did they have to bring a blood sacrifice? Because it was a picture of the Messiah to come and how he would shed his blood for their sin. It was to teach them that blood had to be shed to pay for their sin. The book of Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sins, no payment for sins. That's why they had to offer blood sacrifices. By the way, I just finished Leviticus in my uh, daily Bible reading, and if you go through the book and just try to keep track of all the sacrifices they had to offer, it was unbelievable. The average Jewish family, if they were going to be right with God, offered hundreds of sacrifices in a year, if not more. Why? To teach them that blood had to be shed to pay for their sin and that the Messiah would come and shed that blood. God had one way from the beginning of time. Jesus said, the Bible says he's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And that plan was set up before time ever started. And God had taught them that through Adam and Eve, and they knew they needed a blood sacrifice. That's why Abel brought a lamb. Abel did not bring a lamb because he was a shepherd. Don't mistake that. Abel brought a lamb because he was obedient. God said it had to be a blood sacrifice. Cain said, I'm not taking no stinking lamb, I'm a farmer. And I'm going to give God the very best. And let me just say this this morning. I guarantee you whatever he brought to God was the absolute best and most glorious demonstration of fruits and vegetables that you would ever see in all the earth. I believe that. 
I don't think it was chintzy. I don't think he was trying to get off cheap. I think in his mind he really had something better to give God. There's just one problem. God said blood had to be shed. Cain brought this amazing offering of fruits and vegetables, and God said, I reject that offering. Not because Cain gave it. It wasn't about Cain and Abel. It was about obedience to God. It was about the fact that blood has to be shed for there to be access. The reason Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and man is because he is the God-man that laid his life down on Calvary and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and he ever liveth to make intercession for us, and he offered his own blood on the mercy seat in heaven in the Holy of Holies in the heavenly tabernacle. The Bible talks about all those things. He's the only way we have access. But mankind from the beginning of time has been trying to find a way around. A way around. There's got to be another way. Today it's pretty simple. What it's all come down to is I'll just be good enough. I'll do enough good things to get to heaven. The problem is the Bible makes very clear that'll never work. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We can't do enough good, be enough good, or accomplish enough in this life to get to God. We have to go through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Back in John 14.6, Jesus said, Jesus saith unto them, unto him, excuse me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. They were troubled, and he knew if they would listen to his words and listen to the foundation he was offering of those things which were absolute, that he was the only way, that he is the only truth, that he is the only life, and that no one can come to God but by him. He stands in the way between God and man. They would find comfort there. As we close this morning, two quick questions and we'll be done. Number one is this. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Is He your way? Is He your truth? Is He your life? Is He your access to God because of that? If not, today's the day of salvation, the Bible says. Now is the appointed time. Don't wait. We don't know what a day may bring forth. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you could do that today. And then second is, if you know you're saved, you know He's your Savior are you living like he's the only way? Are you living like they didn't judge us, doing that which is right in our own eyes? Are you living like he's the only truth? Are you buying into what the world offers, that there's alternatives to supreme and final truth? Are you living like he's the source and sustainer of your life spiritually? Or are you trying to do it all in your own strength? Are you taking advantage of the access you have to God through the mediator of Jesus Christ? God help us to understand there's no other way. We have every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Just a minute, we'll have our invitation. Opportunity to respond to the word of God. I don't presume to know how God spoke to you this morning, but I know that anytime the word of God is open, he speaks. So we opened the Bible this morning so we know that God spoke. The question at this part of the service is, how did he speak to you? And do you need to respond? It may be this morning that you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't know that you're on your way to heaven. You've been trusting some other way, believing some other truth, looking for some other source of spiritual life. If so, can I just tell you, as much as he provides access to those that know him, he's a roadblock to those that don't. You can't get to God any other way. There's anyone in here this morning that would say, I don't know for sure I'm on my way to heaven, but I'm concerned about it. Would you slip your hand up so I can pray for you? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. I like that. And second, as Christian, are we living like he is the way, the truth, and the life? 
We take advantage of the access we have to his Father through him. If God spoke to you, you need to make a decision. And we begin to sing, you come. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power it has. God, I just pray that you'd help us to be obedient to it this morning. God, if there's decisions that need to be made, I pray they'd be made in this invitation. We'll give you the honor, glory, and praise for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Stay with me and turn to page.